Okay, so we are going to conclude the Apostles' Creed. This is the 10th message. I want to encourage you to go back, if you missed any of these messages, to go back and to listen. And, and really, the, the heart behind this series is for us to revisit and look at the, the key foundational truths of Christianity. And as I've said multiple times in introductions to messages in this series, that the Apostles' Creed in no way is, the, is an extensive view of all of the doctrines of the Christian faith. But it is a high-level view. It, it is an overview look. And so we, I have enjoyed going through this just to talk about the, the core fundamental doctrines of our faith and what, what we confess, what we believe. And it's been good to go back and to evaluate and to think deeply about what we believe. So this morning we are concluding, and I have a message titled, An, an Eager Expectation. An Eager Expectation. So would you pray, pray with me before we dive in? God, I thank you for your word here today. Lord, you are so good and so faithful to us to speak to us through your word. And God, I I ask that you would open up the hearts and the minds of those that are here today. Open up our hearts to hear your word and help our ears to be receptive, our hearts to be receptive, that we will listen with hearts to receive. And God, I pray that you would do your work through your word to sanctify us, to mature us, to make us more like Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you ever had an eager expectation for something? A great expectation for something in your life? I remember whenever I proposed to my wife, and we began in the process of eagerly anticipating our wedding day. And so many of you here who are married, you had that moment, you had that time, your, your husband proposed to you. Or is there any women who propose to their husbands? That, that does happen from time to time, right? And, uh, and you, so either way, however it happened, you got in, engaged. Some of you found out you were engaged and you didn't even know it, but you were engaged. And, and, then, you, and then you went into the season of anticipating, eager anticipation or expectation for that wedding day. Maybe it's been a big birthday. Does anybody here anticipate your birthday every year, or have you stopped counting? Have you stopped counting? You know that this coming year, your pastor will be 40 years old. Can you believe that? 40 years old. All my life, I've looked so young. And so every year, I, would be, I'm anticip- I, was in- I always would anticipate another year in the calendar, because everyone would think I'm still a teenager, and so I'm like, no, I'm actually 35 years old. What are you talking about? <laughs> but I'm going to be 40, and nobody would ever guess it. So I, I really don't have a lot of anticipation for birthdays, because it really doesn't really do anything for me or against me. And so, but we do anticipate our birthdays. What about Christmas? Seeing these plants and these lights, does it make you anticipate Christmas? Right, and, and when you're a kid, you remember when you were a kid, this happened just uh, last week. My father-in-law had some presents in the closet for our kids, and, and he made the mistake of putting them on ground level. And so little Lincoln, he's going to be three in January, he went in there and opened up one of the presents, because it's what three-year-olds do, they open presents. But he was anticipating, so he got a present in November for Christmas. He got a, a, a fire truck. But we all have eager expectation for things in our life where we're longing for something in our life and, and, and we, are, we can't wait for it to come. We're longing, we're waiting, and we get anxious and we're like, oh, when is it going to come? When is it going to be here? When is the day going to happen? And you know, that reality is true for us as Christians when we're thinking about resurrection life, when we're thinking about eternal life in heaven. 
We think about that. We should long for those days. And this is really what the last section of the Apostles' Creed deals with. Let's look at the last stanza that we will cover here today. We believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. We believe, we confess, we believe that this is not the final view that you will see of our physical body. That this body will be changed, it will be resurrected, it will be glorified. This is not my final state. And everyone says, amen to that. And we believe in eternal life. We believe in heaven. We believe, we also believe in eternal hell as well. We believe in eternal life. This is what we confess. And we have an eager expectation. Do you have a, a longing uh, eager expectation for the resurrection of this body, for the redemption of this body, for the, redeem- for the redeeming of this body one day. Do you have a longing for heaven? Do you? Or are we so set on earth? Well, let's talk about that today. I, I couldn't think of any greater section to look at to talk about this than Romans chapter 8. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to base kind of this message on Romans 8. And let, so let's read Romans 8, 18 through 25. And then we're going to unpack this, this picture of, 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 of resurrected bodies, redeemed bodies, and eternal life. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, eager expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Amen. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly, eagerly waiting for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So in this section of Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at three things this morning connected with this reality that we believe in, the redemption of our bodies, resurrection, and, 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 and eternal life. There's really three things we're going to unpack on this subject from Romans 8. The first one is this, is that our earthly suffering is only temporary. Secondly, we're going to look at our heart longing for, it longs for redemption. And thirdly, we're going to look at that our hope rests upon the promises of Christ. So those are the three things we will look at here today. So first, the first thing from Romans 8 is that our earthly suffering is only temporary. Our earthly suffering is only temporary. Look back at Romans 8, 18. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Our sufferings are not worth comparing. Our temporary sufferings, the sufferings of this present time, aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. So Paul brings into the forefront in Romans 8 right here in this section the reality of suffering. We suffer here today. We walk through trials and pains. Is there anybody with me? You walk through trials and pains in your life. You walk through suffering in your life. And sometimes it's hard to remember that those things are temporary. Because when you're in the middle of suffering, when you're in the middle of pain, when you're in the middle of discouragement, 
when you're in the middle of depression or anxiety. It's hard to remember that this really is only temporary. And Paul really, he hones in there and says that the sufferings are of this present time, this present moment. The reason that we suffer is because our life is subjected to the curse of sin. And we know this. And we'll speak about this often because it is important for us to remember that the reason why that we suffer and we go through pains, we go through trials in this life, it's because this life is not what it should have been or will be in the future. Sin has marred our existence as humans. God gave humanity the choice, the free will to choose him or to reject him. And the first humans on planet Earth chose to reject God's ways and God's laws. And as a result, it plunged humanity into the curse of sin. So Romans 8 in this section talks about how the creation itself is broken and it longs for redemption. But then we ourselves, we long for redemption in our lives. I don't want to be sick anymore. When I'm sick, I don't want to suffer. I, we don't want the diagnosis. We don't want the potential for cancer or, or to lose a, a loved one too soon. And this is our life. You know, Solomon, Solomon had everything in his life. When you read and you study history about Solomon's life, he had all that he could ever want. He had all the money that anybody could ever have. He had, he had all the pleasures and all the power and the position and, and everything that people want to have in their life. And he began to think deeply about his life and to evaluate what matters most. And, and when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you read Solomon's pondering and his wondering about what he would call the futility of life, the suffering of life. I want to read the section to you in Ecclesiastes 2. This is Solomon. He said, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Solomon says, this is the curse. I worked all of my life and I built my business and I, and I worked hard. And, and now these snot-nosed kids who did nothing for it are going to get it. Solomon says this is vanity. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? He says, what do we get? Listen to this. For all his days are full of sorrow. Wow. And his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. You hear some, some despair in Solomon? You know, sometimes we can find ourselves there. Have you found yourself there? Despairing for your life, despairing because of your circumstances? You get, a, you, you get through one valley. What's the old saying? You're, 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 either, you're, you're going through suffering or you just went through it or you're about to go into it, right? You get through one season of, of being in the valley and, and suffering and pain, and then there's another one right around the corner. And, and if, you're, if we're not careful, we can begin to despair and to, and to feel like, God, where are you? What is going on? Have you been there before? We start to wonder. We start to lose our trust. One painful situation after the next, another loss, another painful situation, another rejection. Have you, have you ever been rejected in your life before by friends, by family? Another rejection, 
another sickness, another diagnosis. It's just pain after pain after pain. And if we're not careful, we can become like Solomon. What did he say? For all his days are full of sorrow. But you know, if we stay there and we don't complete the thought of what Paul was bringing out in Romans 8, then we really do live in despair. And it's overwhelming. It's almost too hard to bear. But what does Paul say in Romans 8? He says three words that are so important. He says, for I consider. For I consider. What are we going to think about when we're going through our trials and our pains? Are we only going to consider what is right in front of us? Are we only going to consider the situations that we see that, that we have no power to control and to change? Are we only going to dwell there? What are we going to consider? What are we going to focus on? What are we going to think about? What does Paul say? He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this present moment, this moment in history, this little blip on the radar in comparison to eternity. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present moment, they don't even pale in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So I... My encouragement to you and my encouragement to myself is that when we are in those moments of despair, and we're overwhelmed because of the sufferings of this present life, that we need to think about eternity. We need to consider the right way. We need to consider in the right way. We must start evaluating our life correctly. We must start seeing our suffering through the right lens. The comparison that Paul is making is clearly one of temporary versus eternal. Temporary versus eternal eternal. Have you ever had a situation in your life, and, and I always pick on kids because I'm right in the middle of raising kids, but we're the same way as children, but have you, have you ever had your, 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 your child, you know, something didn't go their way, and how do, how do they respond when something doesn't go their way? It depends on their age, <laughs> I guess, their response, but it, it, they, they just freak out, and what is something that you tell them? You may say something like this, it is not the end of the world. Isn't that not what you say sometimes? It's not the end of the world. What are you trying to get the child to see? You're trying to get them to see beyond their immediate circumstance and compare temporary to permanent. It's not the end of the world. It's okay. Your brother took the toy. Your sister did this. Right, right. It's not the end of the world. And we can do the same thing in our life when things don't go our way. When we don't get what we want or what we think we deserve, we can begin to think it's the end of the world. Oh, no, it's over. We must do what Paul is encouraging us to do here. I must consider, I must compare temporary to eternal. And I must go above what I see and set my eyes. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the redemption of the body. We believe in life everlasting. This temporary suffering, it really truly is only temporary. He, he wants us, God wants us to look above. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by, day by day. Look what Paul says in Corinthians. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see the same thing he does in Romans 8. He's doing in Corinthians here. He's saying it's a light. It's a momentary suffering. It's a momentary affliction. And he says, it's not even worth comparing. When you, when you look at, at the beauty of eternity and the glories of heaven and what God is preparing for us, 
it pales in comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, do you notice something that Paul says here in Corinthians? He he adds this in in, in a way that's not in Romans 8. He says, he's getting us to think deeply about our sufferings and our pain. He wants us to step back and to compare and, and to realize it's not the end of the world. That God... God is bigger than our circumstances. But notice what he says here. Let's go back to the, to the Corinthians section. Verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us. Is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Do you, do you notice that? What's, what's Paul saying there? He's saying that our trials are working for us. Our trials are doing something in us. So in the middle of our trials, we have a hard time even thinking that there's anything good at all. And we think, God, how can there be any good in my suffering? How can there be any good through what I'm going through? Scripture points us to the reality that our suffering is not meaningless because our suffering is doing something in us. One of Estelle's friends, uh, Jessica Bourgeois, sent Estelle a text the other day, and I said I was going to add it to my sermon because I thought it was so good. She was going to look at the, she, she sent a text, some type of meme that talked about the trials that we go through and, and how, uh, the, that, that she's made up a new word called blessing, that our trials are blessings, B-L-E-S-S-O-N, a blessing. I think I spelled that right. Bless, blessing, it's a blessing and it's a lesson. That, that is what Paul is pointing to, the reality here. That, that, that though we would never choose the sufferings that we go through, though we would never say, God, okay, yeah, God, bring it on. Bring it on. Give me some more. Right? No, we would never say that. We would never say that. But our God, in the midst of all of our sufferings, he's working in us. He's not forgotten us. He's faithful to to mature us, to sanctify us, to do the work of, of, of the Spirit in our heart. The afflictions are actively at work preparing for us, at work pointing us to something greater, reminding us of something greater. Scripture is calling us to lift our vision up. Scripture is calling us to evaluate our lives through an eternal lens. If all we see is what is in front of us, we will live in continual despair as Solomon. We must fight to maintain an eternal perspective as we walk through the inevitable trials of life. We must fight to maintain an eternal perspective. So this is the first picture through Romans 8 as we're talking about eternity, that we believe in the redemption of the body, the resurrection of the body, and we believe in eternal life. This has so much to do with our life in in this temporary life and the suffering that that we go through. It's important that we do think about eternity because if we are not careful, all we do is we think about here and now and we live, if we're not careful, in despair. We must lift our eyes up. Amen? Amen. The second thing we want to look at here this morning from Romans 8, our heart longs for redemption. Our heart longs for redemption. And so, yes, we know that our sufferings in this life are temporary, and they are temporary, but because of those sufferings, it does something in our heart. Look back at Romans 8. Our heart longs for redemption, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That means that we that are born again, who have the Spirit in us. What, what do we do? We groan 
inwardly. Our heart longs for redemption. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. Now, I could focus on the redemption of our bodies. Some of you are groaning for the redemption of your bodies because you're tired of your body. So there's things on, on this earth that you can do to help that. Right, right. You, we can exercise. We can eat better. Right, but so so I'm not going to focus on our physical bodies. Right, N- none of us really love our physical body. None of us think, man, I wish, I wish, man, I wish everyone looked like me. Right, we we don't think that way because none of us really like our physical bodies. We think, God, you could have done a little better. I'm not going to focus on that part of the redemption of our bodies. I want to focus on the the aspect of our physical bodies under the influence of sin and temptation. I want to talk about that reality, that we long for the redemption of these bodies and these minds that are under the influence of temptation and sin. Do you ever think to yourself, when will it be over? God, the moment, the time when I'm no longer tempted to stray from you, the time when sin and temptation will be no more. You look around our world today and it should cause our hearts to cry out, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because we see on full display the pain that sin causes. We see on full display everywhere we look. If we have eyes to see it, we see on full display the pain that sin causes in the lives of humanity. Look all around you. Look at the pain. Look at the abuse. Look at the children that are hurt and the women that are hurt. Look at, look, at, look, at the, look at the suffering and the pain that's caused because of sinful decisions by others. Look at the, the sinful decisions by a drunk driver that gets in a car accident and someone is killed. Look at the pain, just sin that causes pain. And we think, oh, Lord, even so, come quickly, God. We need redemption from this moment, from this time. When will I not be tempted? You know, that is a lifelong battle that we face and if you as a believer think that you will ever graduate from the battle against temptation and sin you need to be made aware today that that is a battle you will take to the grave there may be things in your life in the beginning of your christianity the beginning of your faith in christ when you were a new baby in christ that you you suffered and you struggled with these temptations and as you get mature maybe they don't affect you as much as they used to but 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 there's something new around the corner There's a new opportunity. The devil comes up with a new opportunity for you to be tempted into sin. This is a lifelong struggle. And there can be that moment, that feeling. Our hearts long for redemption. And this is what Romans 8 is saying. There's this groaning. There's this groaning. God, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to be redeemed. I'm ready for this body to not be subjected to sin any longer. You know, Satan, Satan really doesn't change his strategy with how he attacks us. He really doesn't change his strategy. Do you remember in the garden? His big strategy is that he's a liar. He's a father of lies. He's a deceiver. Do you remember back in Genesis 3? Look what Satan said to Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's his strategy, and he has not Change that strategy from Genesis 3 to, to, to uh, November 29th, 2020. He has the same strategy. He is trying to get humanity to doubt that God's word is true. He's trying to get you and I, even as believers, to doubt that his word is true and to doubt that his ways are good. 
It's what he does to us. And then to the non-believer, he's trying to get them to doubt that God has actually spoken, that his word is true, that there even is a God. Did God actually say, are God's words real? Are they true? Can you believe in a God? He did, he say, is he real? He doubt God, doubt that there's truth, doubt that there's actual morals that are, that, that are concrete. Doubt, doubt, doubt. And he lies and he lies and he lies. He's not that creative. He has the same strategy. One simple plan. Get us to question God in his words with the goal of making us, listen, with the goal of making humanity idol worshipers. That's the goal. He wants to make us as humans idol worshipers. But what idols is he after us worshiping? He doesn't honestly, worship, worship the plant. Worship something man-made. No, he doesn't actually mind that right, worship that. But but what he's after is, is the worship of self. Because he knows that that's the greatest idol of all. That when we worship ourself above our creator, then he knows that he has us. That's what he's after. A humanity, humanity full of idol worshipers, worshipers of self. It's kind of like, you guys ever heard of Frank Sinatra? If you're... Under the age of 25, have you heard of Frank Sinatra? <laughs> Frank Sinatra, he, he, you know, like some, of the, some, some, some Christmas movies that I like to watch, Frank Sinatra is, are, are, is in these Christmas movies. Um, and so Frank Sinatra is known for singing. And, and so singing and dancing in old classic movies and making, uh, making albums. Uh, what did they make back then? Was it, you would call it an album, but it was like a... What do you say it? A record? You make records, not albums. You make records. Anybody have a record player here today? Anybody ever put on the record player a song by Frank Sinatra called My Way? My Way? He wrote this in 1969. This song represents a humanity a, a full of idol worshipers. Listen to Frank Sinatra's words. It actually weren't his words. Someone else wrote it, but he made it popular. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And much more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then, a, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I, I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the way. And much more, more than this, I did it. My way. For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. Yes, it was my way. And mankind, since the garden, has been doing it their way. And this is what we see today, a generation of my way, people. It's my way, what I want, what I feel. You can't tell me that what I believe is wrong. You can't tell me that my view of morality and my view of the world around me is wrong because it's my way. I want to do it my way. And as a result of that, we look around, we see the curses of sin of the my way generation, the Frank Sinatra way, the my way approach to life does not work. And our hearts long for redemption. Listen, the truth is is that even as believers, we still do it our way. Some of the greatest lessons we learned, unfortunately, is because we did it our way. And we ignored scripture. 
The Frank Sinatra way is not the way. Look at Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in this way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is a picture of the downward progression of sin. Walks, stands, and sits. The my way approach. Walks, stands, and sits. Sin will say this. Walk this direction. Come on. Come on. Come with us. Come walk this direction. Come over here. It's good over here. Come over here. And then sin will say this. Make your stand. Take your stand on this side. It's one, way to, it's one thing to walk in the direction of sin. But it's another thing to stand. Take your stand. Blessed is the man who does not walk. Who does not stand. And then sin ultimately says this. And make yourself comfortable. Sit down and make yourself comfortable right here. Walk, sit, stand. It's the my way approach. And I'm longing for a day that this body is not subjected. Our hearts long for the redemption of our bodies. No longer to be subjected to temptation as sin. No longer to be subjected to walk away. To take a stand where I shouldn't. And to sit in places I should never sit. This is why we need, listen, listen, this is why we need as believers the word of God on a relentless basis. We need it every day. We need the word of God to do what to our lives? To wash our minds. You know the section in in Ephesians 5, I'm not going to read it, but in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul is looking at at marriage and he's talking about uh, how a husband should treat his wife. And he takes a section and and he says that this is what Christ has done for us. He says that Christ loves his church. He loves his church. Well, let, let, let's, let's just read it. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify, sanctify her, having cleansed her. How? By the washing of the water with the word that he might present her a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle. We need the washing of the word of God because we have so much filth that comes into our eyes and our ears through the world, through our phones, through our TVs, and we can't let our guard down. We can't let our guard down. In this battle that we're longing for redemption, our hearts long to be redeemed, but, but if we let our guard down because we just say it's just too much, I can't fight anymore, we can't let our guard down. You, it's kind of like the, the parent, and we don't really experience this yet with our kids because none of them have driver's license yet, but, but Joel is talking about getting his driver's license soon, right? He wants to start getting his permit. And so, I don't know how you parents do that with kids that drive. I just have to tell you, how do you sleep at night? Your kids are on the road. How did you do it? Your kids, your parents, that your kids are gone. I just think, how did you sleep? And it's like that parent that can't let their guard down until they hear that door open. Because they knew that they, they know that son, that daughter's not home yet. You can't let your guard down, right? You're waiting, you're waiting, for, you're waiting to hear that key. You're waiting to hear their bedroom door open because you know they're back now. That's the same mindset that we must have in our Christian life. We cannot let our guard down in this battle against sin. We cannot let our guard down until the redemption of our bodies. And that is why we long for redemption. Do you long for it? We are waiting. We are longing for the redemption of our bodies. I want to conclude this point here. Look at verse 1 Corinthians 15 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, O sin, O temptation, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. He gives us the victory now. We can win the battle over sin and temptation now, today, because the Spirit lives in us. And he gives us the tools we need to say no now. But he wins the victory in in eternity because there will be the day, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, that this perishable body, this weak body that is subjected to, to, to pain, to suffering, to temptation and sin will be changed. Amen? Sin and death will not have the final say. Suffering and pain will not have the final say. Amen? Amen. Lastly here today, our hope rests upon the promises of Christ. Our hope rests upon the promises of Christ. Look at the text here, back to Romans 8. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Do you love the language there? What's Paul saying there? He's saying, he's saying, why do you hope for what you see? How can you place your hope in what you see? Because you see it. It's in front of you. You hope for what you don't see. He's pointing to eternity. That our hope is outside of us. But is it not what we do? We're tempted to place our hope in what we see. And that's the exchange that the enemy wants us to have in our life, that we start hoping in what we see. What, what, what are some areas that we hope in? We mistakenly place our hope in man. I got to have the right leader. I got to have the right uh, uh, boss that's over me. I got to have, I, I have, have man that, that, that I'm trusting in to take care of me. We, we, we mistakenly place our hope in man or in my spouse, in my friend, in people in general. I place, we, we mistakenly believe that we can place our hope in man, in money. We mistakenly place our hope in money or, or in material things. This is what we do in our life. It is our ongoing temptation. And Paul is saying, why do you place your hope